morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. My name is Dan Meyer. Um, one of the pastors here. I get to, um, I get the the privilege, the pleasure, the joy of having my job be interacting with people and, and sharing faith journeys and, and helping you guys get plugged into growth groups and, and do biblical counseling and all of those kinds of things. Um, it, it's such a pleasure to be able to just share um, God's good news with you this morning. Um, and so we're going to be continuing our journey through Galatians, this law of grace. If you want to open up your Bibles to Galatians 3, um, then we'll pick up in verse 14. So as, we, as we've been talking about this law of grace, what we're finding is that, um, that Paul is writing this letter to the people in Galatia, a number of different churches there, and they're experiencing this tension that's going on. This tension between, hey, we've been justified, we've been made right with God through Christ. And yet, there's these people, these, these Christians that are coming alongside of us, they're, they're Jewish Christians, and they're saying to these Gentile Christians, hey, you need to still follow the law. Specifically, they came up the, the issue of circumcision. You know, this was a big deal in, to, to, to the covenant of God's people. This was the covenant that made them right before God. And Paul tells us, you know, if you read in Romans, um, that, that true circumcision is of the heart. It's really about letting God into our heart. It is really a heart issue. Not having a hard heart, but having a soft heart. Having that humility just to be able to, to sit and go, all right, God, you know what? Here I am. I, I'm not God. I don't know everything. I know I like to pretend like I know what's right and what's wrong, and I like to, to set up these standards around me. But, but really, God, I just want to sit at your feet, and I just want to receive with humility your instruction. Tell me what's up, God. Tell me your law. And really, that's what God's law is. It's holy, it, it's, it's just, it's pure, it's, it's perfect. Remember Pastor Mark a few weeks ago teaching us when he was talking about the law and, and, he, and he pulled out you know, some verses out of uh, Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 17. Um, and Jesus also says the same things in Matthew 19. He says, the law isn't going anywhere. I didn't show up to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. The law isn't bad. The law reveals that you're bad. <laughs> the law reveals that you've got some issues, right? You know, hey, you got this thing going on inside of you that when somebody says, hey, don't do that, that's not a good idea. Well, why? But, but who are you to tell me? I, I can make my own decision. I know what's right. I, I can handle it. That may not be good for you, but for me, it's okay. Right? And, and when we come face to face with these standards, when we come face to face with these laws, God tells us in his word that the law reveals everywhere that we got issues with authority. That's what it's there for. It's there to reveal that we need more of who he is. So Paul's kind of writing in this tension. He's writing this letter. And this letter in this day and time is kind of like, this is as personal as it gets. You know, he's writing from a distance. He didn't have Skype. You know, he can't just Skype into the church at Galatia and be face-to-face, -face, you know. Um, Mark had this conversation with somebody a little while back, you know, and he was saying that he couldn't figure out the Skype settings. And so on the, on the, on the person's end that he was talking to, he was a cat, you know. And so he was sharing, all, what would it be like if, you know, you saw a cat teaching you the, the word of God, you know, kind of interesting, kind of funny. But Paul didn't have that option. 
Paul just had, uh, this, is, this is all I can do. I can write you this letter because I can't get to you right now. But this is a heartfelt expression. This isn't some email written at 2 o'clock in the morning because you're angry. Okay, this isn't, uh, you know, um, updating your Facebook status and going, you know, just blah. No, th- this, is, this is an intentional, spirit-filled communication from uh, a father, a spiritual father to his children saying, please, please listen, please follow. Please follow grace. And grace is such a freeing word for us. Grace is such an, an incredible expression from God. In, uh, in the verse right before what we're going to get into, it says, Christ rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took himself, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. This incredible grace, this incredible gift. We love grace. We love, it's a freeing word. It's, it's unmerited favor. Giving us something that we didn't deserve. Unconditional love in the form of a gift. And truthfully, like unless we're prideful, then we really enjoy receiving grace. I mean, I, I love to be forgiven. I have been forgiven even though I've done things that are unforgivable. I have underperformed and been overcompensated. I love grace. I love these, these times when I had no way to accomplish a goal unless I received someone's help and then someone came, came alongside of me, helped me accomplish a goal and I had no way to repay the giver. Grace. Receiving all of these things, these wonderful gifts. But also if we're prideful, we have trouble giving grace. And oftentimes what we'll find is that there's this, there's this thing going on that we're only able to give as much grace as we've actually received. We're only able to share out of the abundance and give freely based on how much we have received of God's grace and God's love. And some of the dynamics that reveal kind of where we're at and, and where grace is going on in our life and, and the challenges to grace also, these things that happen to us almost on a, on a daily basis. Very, very plain kind of daily journey things of life. You, you go to work and suddenly your, your boss has been interacting with you and, you and your faith. And instead of, you know, kind of um, just relating to you on a professional level, they start relating to you on a personal level. And what happens is they start attacking you and your faith. Start belittling you. Oh, you're stupid. Can't believe you believe in that stuff. Begin using you or manipulating you. Now, what would grace do? What would be the attitude of grace? I think our normal attitude would be, hey, let's, I need to defend myself. I need to defend my faith. But maybe grace would be silent in front of your accuser, even as Christ was silent in front of his accusers. Maybe grace would, would be um, the attitude of, of heaping on good deeds. Hey, you're persecuting me. You're mocking me. Here. Let me show you the power of my faith. I'm not going to respond negatively to you. I'm going to give grace to you. In fact, I'm going to bless you. If you read Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks a lot about these kinds of things, you know. Blessed are the peacemakers. He talks about, you know, whatever it is that, that however you can bring about peace, whatever part of peace is up to you, go for it. Do it. Bring peace in the world. He says when people persecute you, pray for them. When people are spitefully using you, do good to them. 
This is the attitude of grace. This is what grace looks like. When we're abused and have no recourse, grace would show us the way to pray for the violator. This is an amazing mentality. This is something that goes uh, totally against what's on the inside of me. When somebody attacks me, what do I want to do? Defend myself. When somebody says I've done something wrong, what do I want to do? I want to prove that I'm right. And grace oftentimes seems very unnatural, and that's because it is. It's supernatural. The attitude of grace is not something that just dwells naturally with us. It doesn't just freely flow out of us. It's something that comes through relationship with God. If you spend some time in the Psalms and you see these expressions of David, you know, David has all of the, it kind of, it's like this guy dwelt in the realm of every single possible human emotion and wrote it down on paper for us, you know, and sometimes in his prayers to God, he cries out and he's like, God, you know, just destroy my enemies, make their teeth fall out of their mouth, you know, all of this really kind of graphic stuff, you know, and you're like, Dave, you're sick, man. What is wrong with you? You know, but he's like, God, get my enemies, you know, but but that's, it's one thing to kind of express that just between us and God, right? I mean, that's just authenticity. Like, there it is, God. You already know my heart anyway. I am upset. Can you just kill these people? I'm just not real happy with them. Why do I have to go through this, you know? And yet in, in, in David's life, many times we see the story was totally different. The way that he lived it out. Remember when uh, King Saul was after him, Second Samuel King Saul is hunting him. He is the hunted. Saul is trying to kill him. And many, many times, Dave shows up in his camp in the middle of the night, you know. One, of the, one time Saul goes into the, into the cave to relieve himself, you know, to, to take a leak or something, you know. And, and, and David is in the same cave. And it's pitch black. And, and David cuts off the corner of his garment, but lets him go. Grace. Could have just killed him. Hey, I'm tired of this, man. I'm tired of you hunting me down. I have not done anything wrong. In fact, God's told me I've done something right because he already anointed me as king. In your place, Saul. Eat it, man. <laughs> no, he didn't do that. No, he, he, he humbled himself and he was gracious. There was another time when he was already king and he's walking along the side of the road and this guy, Shimei, comes and, and he's walking along the hillside and he's cursing David out and he's picking up rocks and throwing it at him. And one of uh, David's mighty men comes over to David and he's like, listen, I'm kind of tired of hearing this loudmouth. Would you mind if I just go kind of stop the situation and just go take off his head? And David's like, no, don't, don't do that. Because you know why? Because what he's saying might be words ordained by God to bring about a reaction in me. You know what? I need, to do, I need to deal with this with grace. Those might be the words of God. It's not my job to judge this. It's my job to be gracious. Let God judge between us. Let God, God will work that out. Don't worry about it, man. Put your sword back up. This is the attitude of Grace. And as we kind of wrestle with these emotions, you know, as, as we kind of look in, for places in our life where, where grace can unfold, it's a lot more than just random acts of kindness. It's a lot more than just kind of, you know, oh, here's an opportunity to, to help out the, the old lady with her groceries. I'll let this guy into traffic. He doesn't even have a signal on, but I'll let him in front of me. It looks like he's trying to get over there. 
I'm so gracious. No, no, that's not what, that, that's not what grace looks like. Grace is a sacrifice. Grace is, is spirit-led acts. They're supernatural and they're miraculous and they cost. Grace has action and movement. When we see it, when we identify it, it takes our breath away. It's beautiful. It has form and it has substance. It has power and it frees us to be able to serve Christ. And so as we jump into the scripture and look at verse, look at verse 14 here together, keep in mind this is, this is, the, this is grace. This is what Paul is talking about here as he's writing. He says, Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now this could, this could be a little bit misleading depending on how you, receive, how you um, interpret the word receive. You know, receive is one of those things a lot of times, you know, we just look at it um, from the perspective of, I have been given something. Somebody came up to me and, and gave me a gift. And there it is, and I received that. Hey, thanks a lot for giving. And the emphasis is a lot more on the giver than it is on, on what you've done. But that's not what he's, that's not what he's talking about here. The word receive is, is like the quarterback who, who steps back. He throws the ball. The wide receiver sees it. I have opportunity to go and to grasp onto that pigskin and to make something amazing happen. And he receives it. He grabs hold of it. He takes hold of it. He takes possession of it. And he says, now, now it's my job to go and do something to make the play. Now it's my job to, to, as Pastor Eric, you know, talked about several weeks ago, to kind of improvise. Now it's my job to tell the story of God. Now it's my turn to, to put on the moves, to fake out the defense, to go beyond and to score and to advance the kingdom of God. To take hold, to grasp onto. This is what it means to receive. What is this promise? What is this opportunity? He tells us there in that verse, he says, the promise to the believers is they might receive the Holy Spirit through faith. The life of the Spirit. This is the promise. Not just the law, not just, okay, you know, do these things, set up this standard, live, live this way. No, the life of the Spirit. That moment by moment I can hold tight to this promise. Moment by moment, I can, I can walk into the world knowing that my God is with me and that he wants to create art, that he wants to create beauty, that he wants to shape the world around me. We all cry out for grace. We all, we all want grace. We all need grace. And God wants to give us this so that it can equip us. One of the ways that it equips us is to be able to, to, be able to not live under the fear of judgment. That's part of the law. Keep all of these things, do all of these things, and if you don't, then what? Then the hammer comes down. Judgment. But, the, but grace gives us the freedom to be able to not live under the law. There's this amazing, um, there's amazing you know, kind of narrative, the story of, of Jacob and Esau in Genesis chapter 32. And kind of the backstory is, is basically Jacob ripped off Esau. Jacob was a schemer. He was a deceiver. He was a liar in many areas of his life. He was, you know, in some ways a very savvy business person because he knew how to work the system. And so Jacob basically sold out 
um, Esau by, by buying Esau's birthright for the price of a bowl of stew, okay? Now, later on in life, Jacob has obviously been kind of feeling this tension and he's, he's got this, he comes to this place where he's gonna meet Esau. And so he begins to, to send out these gifts. And, and he sends out these gifts knowing that his brother is on the way and he says to his servants, hey, tell him this is, this is a gift for you. Who do these people belong to? Th- these are yours, Esau. This is a gift. May your servant Jacob find grace in your sight. He says it over and over and over and over again. And finally, he comes face to face with Esau. And he says himself repeatedly, may I find grace in your sight. I am so desperate for grace, man. You have every right to just kill me and take everything that I have taken from you. And Esau forgives him. But that very night, God comes to Jacob and he wrestles with him. And he's rolling around on the ground with Jacob in some kind of form. And, he, and, and Jacob is like, bless me. Bless me, God. I am not letting you go. I am not stopping this wrestling match until you bless me. I need your grace. And then God does something very interesting. He says, all right, liar. All right, deceiver. All right, schemer. I'm going to change your name. You're no longer Jacob. Now your name is Israel. You're no longer having to wrestle with this judgment. Now your name is governed by God. You no longer have to live in fear of judgment of all of these other people. Now you answer to me. This incredible grace, you have a relationship one-on-one with me. We've wrestled in the dirt. We've rolled around on the ground together. I have left a permanent mark on you, Jacob. He dislocated his hip. From now on, you're gonna remember what life's really about. It's about your relationship with me. Grace is dwelling with God. Grace is that God would come down and dwell with us. This is an amazing gift. But not only to not live in fear of judgment, but also not to live in judgment of others. It's such a control trap, isn't it? To be able to look around you at, at, all, at all the other people and all you see is the things that they do wrong. All you feel is that weight and that burden. What kind of a life is it to, to look at other people and to be able to feel that conviction and that compulsion that you have to tell them all of the things that they're doing wrong? What an amazing weight what a horrible way to process life. And God wants to set us free with his grace. Grace gives us the ability to be equipped so that we can be honest with our motives. What's really going on in my heart? Why am I really acting this way? Why am I really doing these things? The spirit of God convicts us and he corrects us. He's not only speaking to us of his affirming love, but he's revealing to us where we need to align our lives with his purposes, with his will. This grace of God equips us to be able to find power to, to kill our fleshly desires. We don't have to live. The law can't give us new life. The Spirit of God gives us life and peace. And lastly, to live in good conscience before God because his laws and our lives are not in conflict with each other. It's an amazing gift doesn't abolish the law. Grace actually brings us to the place where our lives are not in conflict with God's law, with God's truth. 
Paul gives us another example, uh, continuing in verse 15. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises of Abraham and his child to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that of course means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled. 430 years later, when God gave the law to Moses, God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. The promise came before the law. See, God's goal is, is, is family, not servitude. God doesn't weigh us out to see if, if we're worthy of his love. God doesn't measure or put us on the scale and go, all right, well, you know, Dan, overall, you know, I don't know if I can really invest in him. Doesn't really, he's got so many issues. He, he has these, these relational pains. He, he's emotionally unstable at times. Sometimes I just wonder what he's thinking. You know, why does he act like that? Why is he condescending in his mind? And why does he have that lust issue? Gosh, that is so ugly. Why does he have to deal with these things? I, I'm not really sure if I am gonna get my good return out of investing in Dan. That's not grace. That's not how God views us. Now God unleashes his, his, his grace upon us because we're his masterpiece. Grace is one of our values around here. It's one of the things that we really want to believe in. It's one of the things that we want to, to invest in, we want to live in. You, you'll see over on the wall here in our, in our gallery over in the corner, we have a, pictures of all of, of our values. Take some time to go over there. You'll see this one that's it's about grace, and, it, and it's these hearts in a cup, and these hearts poured out. You see over here, we have this piece on the wall. It's all about the masterpiece of God back in the alcove there. The hand of God reaching down. And if you spend some time looking closely at that piece, then you're going to see what's, what's going on in there is all around the edges on these tiny little slips of paper are pasted people's weaknesses. Lust. I'm a liar. I'm codependent. I want my own way. Everything is a competition. I just want to win. doesn't matter whose back I have to walk over. All around, you see those, those things. And then on the, the painting itself in different colors, you see the, the life of the Spirit. People's gifts here. Teaching, helping, serving, giving mercy. And you see this, this full picture of the masterpiece of God, of this process of God reaching down to man and saying, I'm going to work with you through this and at the same time you see there's this huge piece of the puzzle that's just unfinished the story isn't finished yet the canvas is blank there's still more work to do we're in the process of being perfected and so we need more and more grace but a true artist never looks at the masterpiece and, and despises it for the things that are not yet painted a true artist never, never looks at, at, a, at a work of art and, and starts cursing at the clay because it's too dry, because it's only dust. No, God would, would pour out his spirit on our dust and he would mold us and shape us into the image of Christ and work with us. 
And wherever we do not have that same attitude, then we need to abandon what our eyes see. We need to abandon because our eyes don't see clearly. We need to to walk away from it because we only see the things that are undone. And these eyes often only see potential. And oftentimes they despise the gap between perfection and our present reality. And if we'll listen in this place of grace, then God will speak to us. God wants to teach you. He wants to whisper in your ear and he wants to give you a better story. He wants to breathe life to us by his spirit. I mean, who, which of us would, would raise their hand and say, hey, you know what, um, I have no need of grace. I don't need forgiveness. I, 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 don't, I don't need your love. I don't need your favor. But truthfully, every single one of us has said that to someone, maybe even to God. Because truthfully, we, we, we do want grace and we do want love and we do want forgiveness and, and we want it on our own terms. We want our own law. We want a law that we create that tells us that we're right. But God didn't come to give us that kind of affirmation. He said, no, I've come to give you a new commandment. I've come to give you a new law, the life of the Spirit, the freedom to love me and the freedom to love other people with all that you are. So why was the law of God even given? Paul answers that question, jumping back into Galatians 3, verse 19. He says, so why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who was one, did not use a mediator when he came to give his promise to Abraham. God doesn't want to use a mediator. God's purpose is to bring family. God wants to relate to us one-on-one. And so he did that with Abraham. But when people violated the promise, then God had to give the law. Oh, you don't, you, you're, not, you're not living according to the promise. You're not living in freedom. You're not living in relationship to me. So I'm going to give you the law. I'm going to give you instruction. I'm going to show you the right way to live. The law is for violators. If we live in the law of, of God's grace, if we live in freedom, if you will, as we'll get to in a few weeks, and when we talk about the, the spirit of God and the life of the spirit, it says there's no law against these things. There's no law against the life of the spirit. He continues in verse 21. It says, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. The law is there to, to show us that we didn't do the right thing. Show us that we're, that, we're, that we're sinners. All parents do this, right? All parents instruct our children. All parents, you know, we long to give them, them freedom, but they're stupid, you know? And, and so the, the fact of the matter is, is, is they make these incredible mistakes. You know, they, they do these inane things. And so we have to give them guidelines to help them live correctly, 
to help them love, to help them not kill themselves, not do, you know, uh, face plants off of the kitchen counter, you know, whatever it is. Uh, when my son was like 11 months old, I turned around and he had climbed up on the bar stool, was standing on top of the kitchen counter looking at me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am so much trouble. But our children, they need guidelines. They need, they need the law to show them the right way to live. We all do this. You know, we, we long to give our children these things, you know, so that they don't eat off, off the floor and, and, so that, and so that they don't get cavities, you know. Um, you know, hey, don't pick your nose, you know, and, and don't eat what you picked out of your nose, you know. Um, why do we even have to say these things? This is, this is disgusting, you know. I'm giving you a law so you don't become a disgusting creature, you know. This is grace. Sharing correction, sharing instruction, you know, um, right down to little manners sometimes is, is an amazing expression of grace. This is really amazing because the law was given not in a spirit of control, but in a spirit of the promise to bring freedom. I know people that, you know, kind of live with that attitude of, well, you know, hey, the, the law is just there to control me, you know. And so it stirs up that rebellion. Stick it to the man, you know? This kind of attitude of no one's going to inhibit my freedom. And that's the perspective of the law is the law inhibits my freedom. And God says, no, you don't understand. You're not living in freedom. You're bound up in your sin. And so you needed the law to bring wisdom and to bring life to you. But you couldn't keep it. And so you need grace to help you live rightly. He ends up with these verses and says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was, was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian there's really no conflict between the law and grace unless we release grace so that we can hold the law. God wants us to hold tightly, to receive, to hold on tight to his grace. Some of us see the law and we recognize our, our inability and it pushes us away from the gift of grace. Some of us see the gift of grace and we receive it and yet it stirs up in us the desire to try to earn it. Either way, we have to end up coming to the end of trying to be good and learning to let God teach us his ways. Sitting in that place of humility, God gives grace to the humble, but he wars against the, pro the proud. May that not be our reality. May we be humble. We must learn more and more to be the children of God. I'm excited about next week's conversation because Pastor Eric is going to teach us about the children of God. And we're going to share in communion together. And we're going to have child dedications. And it's going to be a, a glorious time of, of learning more of what it means to bask and to grow in this grace. And I hope you're looking forward as we take this next step in the law of grace. Will you pray with me? Father, we just come to you um, 
And in humility, Lord, we just acknowledge that, that we are in need of your grace. Lord, there's times that we're prideful. There's times that we say, I don't need forgiveness. I don't need your love. There's times that, that we get attacked and we respond by defending ourselves and we, we don't act graciously. So Lord, we pray that today you would just inspire our minds with one thing. One thing to be able to walk away with, one element of grace to be able to implement into our lives. One, one thing to be able to receive in this glorious work that you've done of releasing us from the curse of the law and giving us the promise of the Holy Spirit. Lord, hear our worship now. Speak to us and convict us. And Lord, help us to invest, help us to own the vision that you have called us to live in, to be your hands and feet. Lord, give us words of inspiration and vision today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.